following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, hello again, everybody. I uh, am enjoying getting to see some of your faces today. And if you missed the announcement at the beginning of the service, I'll let you know that um, you are welcomed and encouraged to have your videos turned on during the service for now since we don't have um, the ASL interpreter that we want to pin to the video. So uh, if you'd like to, you can start your videos. And today's uh, sermon, such as it is, is actually going to be a Q&A session with all of you, um, assuming that any of you have questions. And uh, so if you are going to ask a question, you could do it one of two ways. If First of all, if you're on Facebook, uh, live. I apologize that I won't be able to see questions that are posted there, but if you put them in the comments, I will try to, to um, check in on them and respond to them this week um, somehow. But if you'd like to ask me a question about the, uh, the Trinity series that we've just concluded, we did four weeks talking about the Trinity, um, or about the Bible, or living a life of faith in the midst of... Um, uh, waves arms. <laughs> uh, I would be glad to try and respond to those questions. I usually try not to call it question and answer because I don't want to set the bar too high, but I will be happy to respond with some a response. And then I do have like a um, three and a half minute sermon <laughs> to give you at the end, which is um, mostly uh, my will be my attempt to, to try to encourage you along with the scriptures that I've chosen for today's service and the songs that we chose for today's service. Um, I want to offer you some encouragement in those ways. So let's do it this way. If you would like to ask a question on Zoom, um, please unmute yourself and ask it out. And if you talk over each other, just be polite. We'll sort it all out. If you prefer to ask a question by typing into the chat, you can do that as well. But I would love to see your face and hear your voice if, if you're comfortable doing that. So we'll give it the awkward minute before the first question comes through. I have a question. Yeah. Scott, were there any if Trinity is true then statements that you didn't get to preach a sermon on that you want to give us like a sermon nugget? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, probably no big ones that I had to omit that um, not that there wouldn't be any more if I continued to do the study, but I think I got to the to the biggest ones that I wanted to share. Um, I sort of satisfied the the uh, scratched the itch that I was sort of having theologically uh, to to share with you. And then at the end of the last sermon, which was a couple weeks ago, I um, I did kind of just dump in. <laughs> like the the stuff that wouldn't fit into any of the other sermons, which is not usually what I... Oh, sorry, there go my motion sensor lights. That's not usually what I do uh, in a sermon series, but there were enough kind of just little beautiful nuggets, especially from Father Rohr's book that I wanted to share with people. So um, if you're looking for uh, a few little tiny pieces and haven't listened to that sermon yet, you can go back and get that on the podcast or on the Facebook archive and go to the end and get those last few minutes because... There was some beautiful stuff that just didn't seem to fit. Thank you for that question, Melody. Any other questions? I'm glad we get a chance to do this because I really do miss 
um, having conversations with you. Some of you come to the Tuesday night things and I sort of am used to having um, face-to-face via the screen with you, but many of you I haven't gotten a chance to to see your face um, in some time. So even if we don't get many questions, this is a great chance to just feel like we're together. Scott, I have a question. Hi, Sue. What, what books are you reading now? Oh, that's a great question. Well, um, I'll preface this by saying... <laughs> I, in the early part of quarantine, I was seeing people talk about all the books they're reading. And I was like, I, I haven't read a single page of a single thing. I cannot read anything right now. I am too overwhelmed. And so many of you may still feel that way. Um, I did eventually get to the point where I could start doing some reading um, again. Uh, actually, I have it right over here. I'll get it for you. Hang on just a second. This is a book that I, I did mention this uh, a few weeks ago. But uh, this is just the dust jacket because I took it off and it's easier to show it to you that way. This is called The Forgotten Creed, uh, Christianity's Original Struggle Against Bigotry, Slavery, and Sexism. All right, so this author is, um, it's like Oxford University Press. This is like a really smart person. And their premise is basically that the the verse in Galatians that says uh, there's, in Christ Jesus, there's no longer any uh, Jew or Greek there's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female. He makes a really compelling argument, so far anyway, that this is not original to Paul, that it actually was a Christian creed, and that in fact, it wasn't just any Christian creed, it was the baptismal creed, so that when people were baptized into the Christian faith, they were, um, it's not that they weren't confessing beliefs about God, but that but that something um, that that the more primary thing that they were doing was confessing an identity about themselves um, and that in in Christ Jesus, or um, he argues that the original telling was probably in the spirit, there is these barriers, these things that separate us no longer exist. And that in fact, this is the revelation of God that these barriers never did exist, that we constructed them. So um, it's a academic-ish book, but it's very readable. It's very approachable. If that interests you, it's called The Forgotten Creed. The author's name is Stephen Patterson. So, yeah, thank you. I love, I love people asking what I'm reading these days. I'm also, <laughs> I'm trying to finish Moby Dick, which I haven't read since 11th grade. And it was my read this on the Kindle on the plane book, but I haven't been on many planes lately. So we'll see. Um, I have a question, Scott. Um, I, I haven't been uh, as consistent on Tuesdays the past few weeks because summer and just out of schedule and stuff. But um, I know that we have been talking about um, like the Black Lives Movement mad, uh, Matter movement and like what we were doing in terms of a church like moving forward. And I was wondering what like you thought the next steps might be in that. Hmm. Yeah. So a real softball. Thanks for that. I appreciate it, Scott. (laughs) Yeah. um, Next steps when it comes to uh, addressing racial injustice as a church. Well, I think it's probably true for Artisan that we 
we already sort of found ourselves on a path of trying to understand um, the realities of our world when it comes to racial injustice. Um, uh, I'm not trying to toot our horn as a church, but I think I think that this has come to the attention. I'm thanks be to God. This has come to the attention of many Christian people uh, in the last few months in a way that it never had before for many of them. And um, this is in no way to say that we have had it all figured out or that we've always done everything right. Um, But I do think we were already on that path somewhat. And so what that means is that a lot of the work that we need to do um, has been somewhat underway and that so so one of the things on our list of things to do is is keep pushing further uh, with um, things like uh, recognizing the lenses through which we read scripture right so the the rethinking incarceration event that we did several years ago uh, I think put a lot of us on that road toward thinking about how white supremacy has been baked into the cake of the um, American Christian church and that we uh, constantly need to be trying to grapple with that and unwind it and accept it and repent of it. And things like um, trying to elevate the voices of people of color whenever we can as a predominantly white church. I'm happy to say that we have Rose Percy coming back, not coming back, but um, joining us again to preach uh, in a couple of weeks here while I'm on, uh, when I'm on vacation. And uh, she's an African-American woman who lives in Brockton, Massachusetts. And so her perspective is one that's very different from mine. And so we'll continue to try to do that whenever we can. Uh, and many of us have, I think that maybe the thing that, that has been sort of new for many of us is that we've been trying to engage in, in things like public demonstrations and, and so forth. And I've even seen some of some people out there at protests holding signs that integrate their views on race with their views on faith in a way that's really beautiful and challenging. And I think um, might bring some hope to people um, about the role of the church. So, but I guess most of all, what I would say, Scott, is that we that that there is no destination point on this that I think is within reach for us. Um, there's not going to be a moment when we say, okay, we've solved that because there's, there's constantly going to be more work that we each need to do individually and internally. And there's, <clears throat> there's, it's probably going to be the work of years and decades for us as a, as an institution to try to, to do our part in righting the wrongs that have been done. So uh, I I think maybe I'll say one last thing, which is that we ought to do our best to find the right balance between exhorting each other to do what's right and um, criticizing each other when we don't in a way that's not charitable. And I think everybody's going to be at a different place on this. Some people have been hyper aware of racial injustice for years now, and they've, they've traveled quite darn, quite far down a road 
And if you introduced them to themselves from five years ago, they would be appalled. And that's true for myself. But I think what's important is that we don't become appalled at people who are just starting this out and just starting to figure things out. So um, we need to do what we can to um, call each other to account and to hold each other accountable in a way that's, yes, insistent and even demanding when it's required, but also is is gentle and and kind and shows empathy for the fact that this is a process that all of us are undergoing. So hopefully, five years from now, I will be appalled at five years at, at today. Me, right? Maybe maybe if we're all growing, that would be true for all of us. So, um, sorry, that was a both long-winded and probably not very helpful, but. That's a great and important question. Thank you, Scott. What other questions do we have today? Got a question, Scott. I am wondering what you and some of your colleagues' conversations might look like towards the idea of what church looks like moving forward in the short-term, medium-term, long-term. Hmm. Um... (laughs) Looks dark at the moment. Uh, yeah, I have had some of those conversations with colleagues. I'm not sure that most of those conversations have entered the fruitful stage so much as the commiseration stage, um, because nobody I know who is a pastor likes doing their job this way. And... Um, that certainly includes me, but uh, it is, I, I think we are, <laughs> all of us coming to the realization that, first of all, we're going to be doing some something different from what we're used to for some time now. And secondly, that maybe, maybe it's good to move on from some of the old ways. Um, <laughs> my spiritual director asked me, a, f- um, a couple sessions ago, what do you need to hold a funeral for? Right, um, which is a very poignant question, given that we've we've had so many people die from this virus. Um, but there there are probably things that I want to return to. That what I actually need to do is bury, and I know that a lot of my colleagues are feeling that as well. Um. At the same time, I am not alone among my colleagues in really rejoicing in the fact that doing church virtually allows so many people to be involved who couldn't be otherwise and affords us some capacity to have empathy for those who um, maybe aren't able to attend worship in person ever for some reason or another. And not just to have empathy with them, um, but also to carve out space for them and, uh, and uh, develop a way to include them. And so I would very much hope that whatever artisans services look like when we do get back to meeting in person, let's say we're, um, uh, well, not so, so as not to set any false expectations five years from now. <laughs> When things are back to, as much back to normal as they're going to get, 
and hopefully have been for some time by then, I would hope that we're still doing some something like Zoom, right? Or Facebook or YouTube Live. Um, I actually think Facebook is deeply evil and you should all delete your accounts. Um, but <laughs> we will be doing something virtual, um, I think, indefinitely, because I love being able to include people who can't be here in person uh, at all or or sometimes can't be here in person. So, once again, long-winded, not very helpful. I, that's one of those things where I wish I had better answers because I personally would feel a lot better if I knew more than I know. Other questions? I have time for a couple more. Cheryl says in the comments, tell us how you really feel about Facebook. <laughs> Listen, I got rid of Facebook because it was it had it was clear to me that it was being it was becoming very bad for my own psyche. And I was I didn't like the person that I was purporting to be on Facebook. But since that has happened, we have seen um lots and lots of stuff become public about Facebook's business practices and the the way they amplify certain voices and so forth that really do I mean I'm not joking I think that they are really bad for society even more than other social media networks which in their own way are have some of the similar problems but look into it if you have if you're on the fence look into it I bet you won't be on the fence much longer All right I have a question um besides your upcoming vacation are there things that we can be praying about for you and the other leaders at Artisan Oh, thank you. What a gracious question, Avla. I appreciate that very much. Yes, um, you you certainly could be praying for me and for my family for this upcoming vacation. As you can imagine, and as some of you know firsthand, vacations look and feel different right now. And I'm really hoping that it will be, even though it's different, that it'll still be restful and restorative. So thank you for that. I think... I can speak for all of the leadership at Artisan when I say that we're we're just just beginning to figure out what it looks like to lead a church in this situation. And uh, even though I could point to many examples of leaders at Artisan doing incredible work right from the very beginning of this quarantine season and the pandemic season, I know that we all are feeling um, overwhelmed and worried and like we're like we should be doing more or should be doing better um so i guess i'm asking for prayers that that the leadership at artisan would be encouraged and would be um led toward uh, good measures and and good leadership and things like that uh, I would specifically ask for a prayer for one member of our leadership team, Del Ippolito, who is now doing PA school in Syracuse and so is during the weeks is living apart from her family. So you can pray for Del and Mark and Gianna and Lily as they figure that out. So thank you for that question. Um <clears throat> I uh, I would say I, I mentioned earlier that Rose Percy is is preaching one of the weeks of my vacation, and I'm happy to say that we actually have three women preaching uh, at Artisan um, in the next few weeks, 
And so please do not miss these weeks. And if you can't be here live, please uh, go back and watch them or listen to the podcast. So next week, our very own Kristen Brown is preaching. Um, I won't be on vacation yet, but I am getting that that extra break before my vacation starts, which is really nice. Kristen, as you know, was one of the resident pastors last year when I was on sabbatical, and she did a great job. She's a very uh, gifted preacher and teacher, and um, so I'm looking forward to that. Then we have Rose, I mentioned, and then my friend Jenna um, Daniels, who is the... uh, She's actually the executive pastor at my friend Micah's church in St. Paul, Minnesota. And some of you have met Micah, and I've mentioned my friendship with him in lots of settings. Uh, But um, it's Jenna, not Micah, who will be the first pastor from Awaken to preach at Artisan. And so I'm excited for that as well. Jenna is absolutely brilliant and um, uh, very pastoral and so... Can't wait for you to hear these three women preach over the next few weeks. Um, I'll answer one more question from the chat here because it's a a good one related to the Trinity. And it's going to require me to do some (laughs) on-the-fly scriptural analysis, which I always love doing. And then then I want to give you my three-minute encouragement sermon. So the question is uh, from Bob and Maria. Ingersoll, uh, could you read Proverbs eight twenty two through 31 and tell us if that refers to the Holy Spirit and how it fits with the Trinity? What a great question. So I'm going to find Proverbs 8, 22 through 31, and I'll read it aloud. And I'm, I'm, I probably have read this before, but uh, in fact, I'm sure I've read it before, but I have no idea what it says. So here we go. Um, so this is from the a section of the book of Proverbs where wisdom is personified. Right? So it says the Lord created me at the beginning of his work. And, and the me there, I, I think, is wisdom, this personification of, of wisdom. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts long ago. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When he had not yet made earth and fields, or the world's first bits of soil. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. So... The I'll try to give a quick answer, which means it will be probably incomplete. But my sense is that that is not referring to the Holy Spirit, but rather to the idea of wisdom. That wisdom is an ancient virtue that all of us should aspire to. 
one reason that I would say that is just because of my own theological commitments to the idea of Trinity being eternally present and that God being eternally uh, triune, right? So um, the Spirit is not a creation of the Father. Um, the Son is not a creation of the Father. Um, we say of Jesus, begotten, not made, right, in the creeds. So um, because of that, I believe that to be consistent with other biblical teaching and with the tradition of the church, anything that seems to look like God is creating, you know, that one person of the Trinity is creating another would mean that Trinity is not true in the ways that uh, I believe it is true. So that's a, the short answer is I don't think it um, refers to the Holy Spirit, although one way that it might relate to, to the Trinity or fit in with the Trinity, which is the second half of your question, is that um, I think wisdom is bestowed on us by the Spirit. And so we can grow in, in faith and in wisdom because we have the Spirit uh, abiding with us. So that's a great question, and I appreciate it. And it's a good place to stop. I love doing uh, question and answer with folks. And so um, if I didn't get to your question, feel free to email it to me. And uh, I will check in on Facebook um, sometime this week and try to type in a quick answer to any questions that I might have missed on Facebook. So great to see all of your faces. Now here we go with um, some words of encouragement for you. This is from the book of James. And before I start reading it, I'll, I want to tell you something that I did with this this week. Um, in fact, let me show it to you. So I already knew that I wanted to use this text on, on Sunday. And so I did something that I sometimes do when I'm preparing for a, a sermon, which is that I, I wrote it out by hand. Can you see uh, my sloppy handwriting there? Um, this is a spiritual discipline that uh, my friend Don taught me years ago called scribing. And what I find is that the act of, of rewriting or writing out by hand the exact words of Scripture, just as a scribe would have done in the days before the printing press, it forces me to slow down much more than... Um, even just intentionally reading something slowly. And the act of putting it in my own handwriting and reproducing it, I think it switches, I don't know the neurology of this, but I think it switches something else on in my brain that I don't get to access when I'm just reading a text. And I found in writing this out that uh, I had a, it became much richer for me. And that even I had found, I, I, I noticed a phrase that my eyes apparently didn't want to notice before because I, it, it was as if it had never been in the text until I wrote it out by hand. So that's an encouragement to you. This is not part of the sermon. This does not come out of my three minutes. That's an encouragement to you to do this spiritual discipline sometimes, especially if you have a verse or a passage that is really important to you. Try writing it out by hand this week and see what, what happens for you. All right, James 5, uh, 7 through 11. I'm going to read this slowly. Um, and hopefully it will sink in for you. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits 
for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who show endurance. You've heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Uh, Beloved, I know that you are eager and anxious for this to be over. I am too. I want to encourage you to be patient, to endure, to trust that the coming of the Lord is near, and that may not be It may not look exactly like you want it to. The coming of the Lord rarely does. But take for your example the heroes of the Bible, knowing that you and I are not the first followers of God who have had to endure suffering, who have had our patience tested, who have wished for this hell to be over. And yet the faith has been transmitted. We have received it. God has been shown to be faithful and steadfast. And I believe will be shown to be faithful and steadfast again. Do not grumble against one another. Lift each other up support each other. And uh, we are in this together and we'll get through this together. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.